Welcome in to the Who Day Den. I'm your host, Taylor. Remember me? It's been a couple of months since we recorded. I broke the cardinal rule of podcasting. You've got to be consistent. You have to release regularly new, uh, new episodes, and I did not do that. My bad. Luckily, it is the off season, so there isn't a whole lot of new news going on in June and early July. So we'll get caught up on some of the most recent news and notes and very excited about a guest we will have later on. First things first, the Bengals unveiled their first ring of honor class. This is something that as Bengals fans, we have been asking for for years and it's somewhat attributed to uh, I think the the national media not necessarily taking the Bengals franchise as seriously and not respecting the Bengals franchise. There's other reasons too. I mean, losing doesn't help, but this is one reason why we've never honored the legends of our franchise. And Mike Brown admitted as such today, I'm recording this on Monday and in his media thing spiel today, he mentioned, you know, that this is a right step to take and it's a long overdue, but alas, we're here. And that's the good news. Anthony Munoz joined by Ken Riley and Ken Anderson, all obviously very deserving to be in the first ring of honor class. I believe that unveiling is taking place, the ceremony, the celebration, whatever you want to call it on the Thursday night primetime game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jaguars, however you prefer to pronounce that. It'll be a great game. I think with Trevor Lawrence in town, the number one overall pick urban Meyer, former Ohio state coach, Lots of storylines in that game, which will be fun to watch. And then you've got this going on as well. So very exciting game to attend if you're able to. Other news, the Bengals claimed off waivers an offensive lineman, Lamont Gallard from the Arizona Cardinals. Now, I assume this is the depth piece, assuming that Lamont even makes the team. And that's fine. I think this time of year, anybody you're picking up off waivers that's been either cut or on a practice squad, whatever it may be, you're hoping that they are not slotting into your starting lineup. If so, you might have some issues. And we know we've had some issues there on the offensive line. We're going to talk the offensive line in more detail here shortly. But hopefully at this time, we don't have to worry about Mr. Gallard slotting in as a starting lineman for us this season. July 31st has been announced as Back Together Saturday is what they're calling it. I, I kind of feel like they could come with a catchier name than Back Together Saturday, but whatever. Anyways, that is a time where Paul Brown Stadium will welcome back fans. They can come in and watch some practice. And I have two tickets to that. I'm excited to be attending that and just to get back into the stadium. And, you know, obviously wasn't there at all last year. And uh, just just good to get back in there rub elbows with some other fans and again, see the team practice, see some of those new exciting players we've got and enjoy that time. I think officially training camp doesn't begin until August 7th and 8th. At least those are the two dates open to the public. If you are interested in a, in attending training camp, my understanding is you have to enter a lottery unless you've been blessed with media credentials from a uh, media outlet, which I have not. Don't know if you have, if not on the Bengals website, information on how to enter the lottery. And I believe July 31st is the last date to do so. 
but after that, they will be drawing names, and I think it's a thousand fans per practice on uh, Saturday the seventh and Sunday the eighth. So I'm hopeful, fingers crossed, that I will get selected in the lottery so that I can attend one of the training camp practices as well. Now, so far, none of these announcements have really had too much impact on the Bengals on the field in 2021. However, some exciting news, Joe Burrow not starting on the pup list, physically unable to perform for those listening at home. Uh, He, I think, is recovering at a great pace. You know, obviously he has insight into his recovery more so than we do. But from everything we can see outside looking in, looks like he's progressing well hitting the milestones he should be hitting. And it's very encouraging that he did not start off on the pup list, which would have kept him out of uh, organized team activities for a while. Um, Today at the media session, it was noted that Burrow's probably going to be held out of the preseason games, which makes sense. No reason to rush him back, even if he is making great progress. I think it will be interesting at the beginning of the season to see if there's just some natural rust there, which I expect there will be. Um, fortunately, we've got a couple winnable games early on. Hopefully Chicago's winnable game, whether that's Dalton or rookie quarterback Justin Fields starting. Uh, we also have that Jacksonville game I mentioned. So there's a couple winnable games that Burrow doesn't need to be uh, at his best, hopefully, in order for us to compete and win those games. But I imagine it'll take maybe a month or so to knock off some of that rust. You have to think game action, what, week 10 or was that week 11 last year uh, when he was injured? And was that November? I believe that was November. So it's been a while since he played in a game, and um, it's good to see him getting some practice reps. So I'm excited, and hopefully uh, at the Back Together Saturday or one of the training camps we get to, I get to see him throw. Um, Otherwise, we'll just... Hope to see some highlights throughout the summer, but it's been exciting. The hype videos they've put out, any of the clips we've seen him throwing the ball, gets you excited for the season. The final note newsworthy of mentioning here recently, Sam Hubbard, I believe this was yesterday, re-signed four years, $40 million deal, which I think is a very fair deal. I am pleased that they got the deal done. I know some Bengals fans are clamoring for Jesse Bates to get an extension, and rightfully so. He's the anchor of our defense, maybe the most important player we have back there, definitely the most talented we have right now. Uh, I, too, hope Jesse Bates gets locked up. However, I I don't believe us extending Sam Hubbard through the 2025 season prevents us from extending Jesse Bates as well. just happened to be the order that it occurred in. So good for Sam Hubbard. I think hopefully for... The Bengals this year, we see Sam take a step forward. He's been solid, um, not necessarily spectacular in his role so far. Struggled a little bit with injuries, but if he's able to stay healthy, he's going to play a lot this year along the line, and he's going to be relied upon to help generate some pressures. And that was something the Bengals as a whole struggled with last year, uh, especially outside of Carl Lawson. If it wasn't for Carl Lawson getting pressures on the quarterback, uh, I think every opposing quarterback would have had about eight seconds to throw the ball. So we've lost Carl Lawson in free agency, obviously picked up Trey Hendrickson, uh, but hopefully Sam Hubbard's able to take a step forward as well. And honestly, four for 40 is a pretty fair deal in my opinion, and by no means uh, locks us up into something that's going to prevent us from paying other players like Jesse Bates. All right. So I think on a previous episode, and I'm saying, I think, cause it's been a couple of months, my bad. 
Uh, I think I teased a series that I wanted to do. And because I teased it, I feel like I definitely have to follow through on it. Um, So I had mentioned I wanted to go through the Bengals position groups and compare them, see how they stack up with the rest of the AFC North. Now, I've played fantasy football for uh, 20 years or so, which is crazy to think about. So since I've been in the fantasy football area, uh, I guess I'm kind of like a fanalist. I don't consider myself a fantasy analyst, but I do some writing on the side and uh, fantasy podcasts and stuff like that. I'm very comfortable talking and evaluating quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, even uh, those skilled position players on offense. I am not as comfortable talking about the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, uh, really the defense as a whole. I've never gotten into IDP for fantasy where you have the individual defensive players. I think I did that one year and it was just too tough to keep up with. So in those areas, I'll be looking for some help from the outside, people who are more educated in those areas than I to, to help us really break down those position groups and see how they stack up against the rest of the AFC North. The first guest that we have, and I will be uh, playing part one here of our interview, is Mike Santagata, writes for All Bengals. He joined up with me, and we talked first about the offensive line, how it stacks up against the AFC North, And then in part two, which will be a separate episode, we're going to talk about the defensive line, uh, the the other side of the ball, and how it stacks up in a really tough division when you look at, you know, TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, some of the the best at their positions happen to also be in our division. That's going to be on the next episode, so make sure you check that out. But here is part one with Mike talking about the Bengals' offensive line. All right, and I am pleased to be joined by the aforementioned Mike, who has a long list of credentials, and I probably won't hit on all of them and may not do him justice, but you know, just a few of them. He writes for Sports Illustrated. It's part of the All Bengals segment of the website covering everything Bengals related. He's part of the unofficial Bengals podcast. He recently has joined Locked on Bengals as a contributor there as well, which is a major accomplishment. He's out on Twitter, and if you're not out on Twitter, I highly recommend you you do so and give Mike a follow at Bengals underscore Sands, S-A-N-S, because he does some great work out there with film breakdowns and things like that that the average fan may or may not uh, understand at looking in the naked eye, but Mike breaks it down and makes it really easy to understand. So I am thrilled to have him on to talk offensive line first, and we'll talk defensive line in another episode. But how are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to have you on because like I said in our uh, pre-show conversation, this is not my forte uh, in the trenches here, but um, maybe good timing because you recently did a little bit of a film breakdown on Jonah Williams for all Bengals. Again, you can find that on SI.com. And you you talked about the 23-year-old and some of the promise he showed last season. You don't have to necessarily, you know, spoil everything in there because I know we want readers to go out there and check it out. But as you kind of went through there, what were some of the the highlights of your breakdown that either has you optimistic or a little worried about Jonah going forward? Yeah, so the first thing with Jonah is that you could talk about the 10,000-foot view is what I talk about, whereas from deep outside, you just see, is he a good run blocker or a good pass blocker? But really, I want to look at why and can he get better or what's going on with what's he doing so well that's awesome and cool. So he's pretty good pass blocker already and 
a little below average run blocker. And when you look at why uh, in the past game, it's mostly positive. It's, I mean, he's a great processor, which is like seeing things on the field, reacting quickly, gathering everything, all the information quickly. He's one of the only guys on our line. I think him and Trey that really do a good job of this where stunts, blitzes, stuff like that doesn't get them like it does, well, did uh, Bobby Hart, and it got Mike Jordan a little bit. It doesn't Good get Good riddance. <laughs> yeah. he When he sees his guy crash inside, he passes him off, and he starts looking outside. Like, they're doing this for a reason. And he goes and he can pick that up. I thought that was probably his best skill. He was also athletic for a tackle. Uh, lateral agility, moving side to side, back and forth. And then also just in general, he pulled and led on a crack toss where wide receiver tight end is going to hit the defensive end. Your offensive tackle is going to pull around him, lead the way. And he's running. I mean, Joe Mixon probably slowed down a little bit, but he was running right in front of him around the same speed, hitting a pretty good 40 and then takes out a cornerback. Uh, so those are what you like to see just in general. Those are probably his two best areas to me. And the one area in pass protection I think he needs a little bit more work is there's well there's two. One of them I think came from Jim Turner where he like he relied a little bit on the two hand punch, which is all over Twitter, uh, parts of it at least, uh, where I am. They kind of talk about it too much, but the two hand punch it's just there's certain moves that just beat it. Uh, just think both your hands coming at the same time, same place, same level. Other guy swings right through there and he knocks out both your hands with one move so then you're screwed and he gave up a sack to josh sweat on that uh real bad one and then the other thing that i think needs a little bit more refinement a little bit harder to overcome is his lack of length and it showed up a little bit uh when a guy can get long and hit into his chest uh it's tough and he's got to protect his chest better but i mean he's facing where I saw it was against like Miles Garrett, and he gets everybody with that. So it was essentially <laughs> his rookie year. So you have to look back on it and see, like, okay, this is like a rookie year for him. I thought he was solid. I think it's a chance to be good, to even maybe great. I think there is just the lack of length, and he doesn't, he's not big, and he doesn't really move people that much in the run game by himself. So I think there's a little bit there where you're like, I don't know how good he's going to get at moving guys in the run game, just as a general point. So who knows if he reaches like all pro level, but I could definitely see like a pro bowl tackle. And I mean, any more pass protection is king. It's more important anyway. And that's what he, he can hit like a great, I think he can be a great pass protector. Yeah. And I, th I think Jonah is a prospect that I kind of struggle with a little bit because on one hand he played pretty well last year, considering it kind of was like you said, his rookie season. And he does have the, you know, the further you get away removed from college and maybe the less it matters, but I think he's still young enough that the fact that he has the pedigree of uh, coming from Alabama, being a top 10 worthy pick, I don't think anybody in the media was really scoffing when we took Jonah Williams, uh, where we took him early in the draft that year. Uh, so he's got those things going for him, but at the same time, it's kind of entering year three here, granted only year two of playing, but year three of your career, you're hoping that you see some improvements in those areas that you mentioned that he can kind of become that cornerstone because right now that's something obviously Bengals fans know the offensive line lacks. Uh, I think anybody that you feel really, really comfortable with long-term, there's some stop gap, there's some potential on that line, but there's not someone that you look at to be like, well, you know what? 
if nothing else, we've got this position locked down. And so hopefully we were able to see those things this year. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the breakdown because, you know, in that article, uh, again, go check it out to, to read more detail. I, I like that you put in there, you know, some of the video clips of the things that you're describing, because for somebody that uh, doesn't get into the in-depth analysis of offensive line play, some of the terms I'm familiar with, but I don't really know what it means. Uh, and I really loved your breakdown because it was really helpful to, to kind of see those, you know, this is what, uh, you know, I think you talked about like uh I think you were talking about like where he kicks out or something. Kick slide, I was, kick slide, yes, yeah. kick slide. Every, I, was, every, I knew it had kick in it. I, I'd heard of it before, but it was like, okay, what is that exactly? Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm with you. He he's he's got the potential, and um, I mean, like it or not, our line was so bad that even if he's only average, he might be our best lineman. <laughs> so it's not saying much, but I'm optimistic about him as well. Um, and it's actually a, a, a perfect segue here into you know, the, the main topic here, our segment is looking at our offensive line as a whole and that whole unit and how it compares to the offensive line units across the AFC North. And I don't think anybody is arguing that the Bengals are at the top, but I'm wondering if they did enough this off season to maybe uh, elevate themselves out of absolute terrible uh, range where they were last year. Um, we're assuming, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we're assuming uh, starters are probably Jonah left tackle Suafilu Hopkins, if he comes back, which he was cleared today, um, if he's ready to roll, he'll be at center. Jackson Carmen at right guard, and then uh, Riley Reef. Uh, that was the ESPN depth chart. I don't know. Do you anticipate any changes through training camp? You know, barring Hopkins' health, but if everybody's healthy, do you anticipate that being the starting five at the line this year? I actually think Spain's going to win the job for left guard over Suafilu, mm-hmm. but I also think. It's it's a competition. It's a true competition. Yeah. I I lean like fifty five, maybe sixty percent towards Spain, and then forty forty five percent towards Suafilo. Uh, either one is better than what we had, though. Exactly. Do you and do you think? I guess you know, as we talked about, whether it's Spain or Suafilo, uh, we also have Billy Price, who's still out there. And um, I favorited this tweet from, I think it was earlier in this off season. Um, uh, Joe Goodberry put it out there and just kind of looked at the uh, Jim Turner effect that he had on our linemen. And, and Goodberry was using just PFF grades, which can be a little subjective, but I think we also, as, as a casual fan, we can look at it and say, okay, it gives an idea of whether a player was decent or not decent. And pretty much all of our linemen regressed under Jim Turner, Billy Price being one. Uh, do you think Billy Price is one of the guys that is, I think the ship has sailed on him ever being uh, an all pro type of guy, probably never even a pro bowler, but do you think he has the chance to evolve into a starter on this line? Or do you think he is solely a depth piece that you hope you don't have to use on this line? I think he's kind of just a depth piece. I think that mm-hmm. you can see that too, with us looking at all these backup centers to bring in, whether yeah. it's uh, Austin reader, writer, we just sure. uh, visited or Lamont guy. <laughs> I don't know these guys names cause we just signed them. Guyard, Guyard. Uh, but he just, uh, we don't hear their names on broadcast either. So right. it doesn't help. But <laughs> <laughs> I know there's no video breaking down Lamont Gaylord, Gallard. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're looking at all these guys to play. We want somebody that's not Billy Price to be our backup center. I think at first I thought maybe this was because Trey's not healthy, but then he's all go according to a report mm-hmm. today. So 
I don't rule out that Billy Price could become a starter elsewhere, though. I think we're just, I think we're moving on. I think this will be his last year. He's a depth piece. He's a great team guy. He's the guy who's always clapping and helping guys yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, he seems like he's great for the locker room, but he's usually helping the quarterback at quarterback up after he gets blown by or pushed back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least he does that. I remember Cedric Ogboy, he would just look back. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Janice, uh, or sorry, uh, Billy Price, unfortunately has some, uh, there's, there's some blame to go around there across the entire line, but he's got some really egregious clips that I've seen, uh, where he, he just gets blown off the line so often, uh, unfortunately for him. And I think, if I recall correctly, wasn't he one that also had short arms? It was just a little bit less of a talking point because he was going to play center versus tackle. Yeah, and I actually think his short arms show up a lot. Like, he does a lot of reaching forward and reaching out. And mm-hmm. when you see guys blow him up, it's because he can't protect his chest and reach guys. They reach him first. So a lot of that shows up for him being a set, even though he's just a, a center or sometimes a guard. And uh, you mentioned pro football focus. And I think with respect to Billy Price, uh, he went against Aaron Donald, but I think they gave him a one out of 100 in pass protection in that game, <laughs> which is insane. I think we, I mean, I wonder what our score would be if we went out there and stood. I don't know. Uh, uh, I, think <laughs> I, I think I could hit a zero. I played. Uh, not, not that I want to go up against Aaron Donald <laughs> by any means. I would, immediately duck into the fetal position but i'm gonna attempt to cut block get thrown down and uh, (laughs) i'll fake an injury and get out of there exactly hold the hammy uh and we mentioned pff last year the Bengals were sixth worst in the league in pass blocking grade according to pff uh again i don't i don't like to be you look at some of Bengals fandom and uh i guess you know fan is short for fanatic but there is a lot of blind optimism that goes around every off season and we see it. So I tend to, I think come across as more pessimistic, but I try to view myself as more realistic and, you know, so I don't want to make excuses, but even though that line was terrible last year, it obviously needs fixing uh, no doubt about it. But Jonah, who was arguably one of our better linemen last year, missed six games. It was kind of like his rookie season. Uh, Suafilu, who I honestly don't like love him. I don't think, did we get him off of uh, waivers or we signed him uh, last off season from couldn't Dallas. remember if we he got was Spain uh, off waivers later. Got it. Got it. Spain. Um, just some of these guys that aren't expected to uh, necessarily come in and plug in and start right away. Xavier was one of our somewhat productive offensive linemen last year, according to PFF grade. He was out for 10 games. Um, then you talk about the guys that we were starting and you have, two guys that I just never ever want to talk about because it just makes me hot. Uh, Michael Jordan and Bobby Hart. So with Bobby Hart and Michael Jordan, they combined for 23 games last year, which is just disgusting. So Bobby Hart out, Michael Jordan out, uh, Jim Turner gone. Just based on those three uh, that we mentioned, do you see this line improving almost almost automatically addition by subtraction sort of thing, because those were arguably our two weakest links on the line. And then you have Jim Turner who had a really rough season um, and rightfully got canned. Yeah. um, So basketball and baseball have this stat uh, value over replacement players or wins above uh, replacement. And I think Mike Jordan and Bobby Hart would both be negative. So 
in your case, yes. So I think just by removing them and replacing them with just your normal replacement player, and he could be below average, it's probably going to be better. I think Bobby Hart, he does some stuff that's worthwhile, but he gets your quarterback hit too much to be your starting right tackle. He's just there. He's he's a decent run blocker, I think, and he's just athletic. I just think it's almost the opposite of Jonah, other than the athleticism, where processing is like his worst trait. As a stunt or anything's happening. He sees his guy drop into coverage, and he just goes, mm-hmm. ah, cool. I don't, yeah. I don't have to do anything this play. <laughs> then somebody's stunting around the right guard who can't get a hold on him and giving up a hit. So, But, yeah, Mike Jordan, I don't know. I feel bad for him. I feel like he gets probably way more hate than he deserves. I mean, he didn't mean to get Burrow hurt. And oh, I also sure. know, I mean, John Allen's just a really good player. He probably shouldn't have tried to throw him to the ground, but he's just getting abused the whole game. I mean, it's... Is it on him or is it on the GM and the coaches for having exactly. him as our left guard out there? I mean, yeah, they, yeah. I never was one that was blame Michael Jordan for that. Um, just because I, you know, when it happened, it was not immediate. Uh, obviously, your first emotions are, oh no, like <laughs> we're cursed type of thing. Um, but it, I, I really never once went to blaming that specific player that got beat on that specific play because it really was a larger issue. And the larger issue was like you said, the front office failing to address that line. Um, it felt like Jim Turner's should have been gone before he was, and he stuck around a little bit longer. Uh, but you know, back to Bobby Hart, he's interesting because he's one where, and, and it's being a Bengals fan. I, I watch all the Bengals games, whereas I don't watch every other NFL team, but PFF had him as like, not, the worst offensive line. I mean, graded out at like a 66 last year. And I watch him and I'm like, how is he not the worst? Like, I swear he might be the worst player to ever play the game just because of how frustrating it was to watch him. Um, so I agree. He's, he's shipped off the Buffalo. I have no idea whether he's, uh, you know, I don't think he's probably uh, expected to get much playing time there. Um, hopefully for Josh Allen's sake, he is not, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, in the, in the draft, we obviously passed on Penny soul and I feel like, you know, that's been a well-debated talk about the the draft, I guess, from your opinion, where do you land on the whole soul versus chase type of thing? Was soul a guy that, you know, not arguing that chase isn't a great pick. Um, maybe you don't think he's a great pick. I do. I was team chase, but you know, whether Chase is a great pick or not, would Sewell have been the type of player you think that immediately uh, lifts this line uh, just by himself? And I guess what would that have done, do you think, to Jonah Williams, or do you think Sewell would have been kicked inside? Yeah, uh, man, I haven't had to talk about this in months. I was team Sewell. It's kind of like <laughs> coming out uh, as, I don't know, <laughs> like, I, I was a communist or something. I don't know. It's, I feel like everybody, the team chase one. And now it's like the team Sewell people. Like, I'm a reform Sewell guy. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, he's so good. I watched them both uh, before we, before the draft. And while I think Chase is awesome, and I think he was a good pick at five. Man, it's just when you see a 330-pound guy who can stop on one step and change direction, and you're like, well, oh, man, this guy has the potential just athletically, and he's a good processor too. Mm-hmm. With his athleticism, his processing, um, I think his technique got overstated. He He's a pretty good technician beat-wise, 
And then I think he needed some work with hand placement and he reached out and tried to really kill guys sometimes. He's 18 years old, 17 right. years old in some of these games. So makes sense. It's the same reason when I see Chase, I'm like, uh, he's kind of a sloppy route runner. I'm like, he was 19. <laughs> <laughs> True. So I mean, it was like going to a high school game and be like, mm, that guy's not running routes at an NFL level. It's like, yeah, he probably shouldn't be it. But uh, both of them are awesome. They're both really young. Um, I think... So I hit the point where when we signed Riley Reef and we didn't sign a Josh Reynolds that could mm-hmm. be a third mm-hmm. wide receiver. I never. Thought, I really thought Josh Reynolds might be a logical fit. I was a little surprised that he wasn't. Yeah, pursued. I thought that was telling of what we were doing. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so we're fixing the hole at right tackle and we're leaving the wide receiver three. Some people say on Tate. I just don't think you can no. put him <laughs> nah. with our wide receiver group out there. Like maybe mm-hmm. if we had – Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks, Auden Tate could be your third guy. Because, or John Ross. Oh, sorry. Uh, John sorry, Ross. Sorry. <laughs> what we thought John Ross Red was. Zone threat. Red zone threat. Remember, he scored eight touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's yards. right. All of a sudden. Uh, but I never thought he was going to be the third wide receiver. So I moved from just looking at different guys we could draft. I moved in like, I'm looking at only offensive linemen in the second round, mm-hmm. and uh, we're drafting Chase. So, so perfect because I want to ask you about that second round pick. I, like I said, I have, I'm, I'm big into fantasy football. So all the skill positions, I know uh, all about the incoming prospects when it came to the line, I knew what, you know, the media says, which was Sewell is the best ever. Um, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern was a very good second consolation prize there for the line. Once it got to the second round and, um, who was it that started to fall? Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins started to fall. That's when, you know, the, the TV coverage was more like, oh, wow, Tevin Jenkins is falling. So I'm like, well, I guess we want Tevin Jenkins. And then we trade back uh, and miss out on Jenkins to get Carmen instead. Do you have insight into those two prospects as far as either which one you would have preferred or, you know, if you don't know much about Jenkins, whether you think Carmen is going to be the type of guy that uh, projects as a reliable starter on your line i did film breakdown on jenkins and then i was just going by whatever media consensus mm-hmm. had them and carmen wasn't there by the time i finished <laughs> i think i finished up with uh jalen mayfield and, okay yeah michigan yeah so i did jenkins i thought jenkins was good i thought he was solid i thought he started getting a little overrated in the draft process because mm-hmm. on certain I think against fast edge rushers, he doesn't have, we just talked about kick slide. His kick slide is not that good. Uh, he couldn't get out there fast. And third round pick, Joseph Osai, whooped him off. Um, Jenkins mm-hmm. was killing him all game and in, in run blocking, which size difference. And Jenkins is a very good run blocker. Um, but it was, it was an overtime, second overtime or something. And he has help. A tight end hits Osai as he's coming off the edge. Just a little one, just a little tap. Mm-hmm. And Osai is still able to speed around him with his get off and speed. And I'm like, oh, that's a problem in this league, especially in this division when you have to go against TJ Watt, presuming he's right tackle. If they put him at mm-hmm. left tackle, you have to go against Miles <laughs> Garrett, which is to me is even scarier. But uh, so I thought he got a little overrated. I He would have been worth it at 38. I think he was better than Carmen. But then again, they're both moving to guard. So it's hard to make the uh, thought process on, well, which one's the better guard? Because I didn't see either of them play guard. Uh, I thought Carmen was solid. I I didn't love him at tackle, but I knew he was moving to guard. 
his feet are a mess, but that's that's better in guard because there's less space. He doesn't have to mm-hmm. kick out wide. Um, but he's just got happy feet. He's, they're going everywhere. He <laughs> he just didn't seem calm ever. But he's super powerful. I I compared him. I think this is a hiring comparison. I think of like uh like a twenty five percent like this is the lower end expectation of somebody. And I think I can't think of anybody off the top of my head for a lower end comparison to Carmen because you know we're just doing hype out here. Seventy five percent. I think he could hit this. A realistic high end comparison for Carmen. I think is. Bengals legend and one of my favorites, uh, Bobby Williams. Just a oh, mean guy, yeah, strong. Yeah. He's super powerful. His hands are so – they're like bricks. He hits guys and they just move over a gap, maybe even two. And he's athletic too. And he played with a broken back or something. So I was trying to take it easy on some of the stuff that I would see and be like, oh, he kind of pulled up early on this. He should finish that block. And then you find out. Oh, he, he, was, he was probably in pain. <laughs> cut him a little bit of slack. Cut him a little bit of slack on stuff like that. I liked him. I think this is the weird one because I think he was a third round pick. My favorite pick there would have been Wyatt Davis. I thought he was mm. awesome from yeah. Ohio State. And I'm not an Ohio mm-hmm. State fan like a lot of Bengals fans are. I, I am. So I, I was eyeing Wyatt Davis as well. I, I kept t- taking him in every mock draft I was doing leading <laughs> up to the draft. I was like, Wyatt Davis is there every time. I thought he was a late first round pick. And I think his 2020 hurt him because he played injured. His 2019 was really impressive. And I don't know. I would have been down with it. I'm down with Carmen. I think it'll be fine. Only time tells on this stuff. It's it's mm-hmm. like you have all these draft experts who spend their whole lives doing this stuff, and they're still wrong 50% yep. of the time. So. Yeah, that's that's been my point too is um, not to, again, not to make an excuse to say this is why Chase is better is because Sewell could bust because technically Chase could bust. You know, any of them could. Uh, but I wish I had my notes with me now, but I didn't know we were going to talk this part. But I did a a quick thing where I looked at the – I can't remember if I went all pro or pro bowl. And I just went through the last few years of NFC and AFC linemen, offensive linemen, and then I went to look at where they were drafted. And um, you don't see all first-rounders getting there. You know, they're peppered around. It's kind of like that with every position. You get a Tyreek Hill at wide receiver who – uh, was taken in fifth round. Stephon Diggs, one of the best wide receivers in the league, fifth round. Devontae Adams, wide receiver. You know, you find those gems everywhere. Um, a guy like named Tom Brady, you know, <laughs> you know, they're outliers, sure. But and and so that's been my kind of my point is yeah, Sewell was the better prospect than Carmen. No one's arguing that. But before I think we can, and it's such a silly exercise, but you know, everybody does it, before we can grade your draft, you really probably need two years because um, if Carmen turns into something solid, um, even just average and okay, but you know he's he's a starter and, and he's all right, and Chase is really, really good, well, then I can justify that pick because, you know, you passed on Sewell, but you got someone solid that's a starter and you got a generational wide receiver in Chase. Just kind of a waiting game, but unfortunately that's not fun to analyze to say, well, we're going to wait a couple of years. So, yeah, I was kind of so-so on Carmen. I thought, um, I think I read something that um, – Frank Pollock uh, really liked him. And that was kind of one of those things where it's like, if I don't know the player, I'm going to hopefully trust the coach. Um, and in this case, a coach I actually kind of trust because he's had success before. So I'm hopeful that that works out. Um, but I think when you look across the division, the AFC North, it's without question, I, I mean, you can let me know if you disagree, that Cleveland is head and shoulders above everybody else when it comes to their offensive line. Um, they uh, have an all pro and 
Jack Conklin. They have a pro bowler and uh, Betonio. They're a really solid group. And, you know, that's even evidenced by when you see the way they run their offense. Uh, they are able to really kind of impose their will on the ground regularly, which, you know, helped open things up for Mayfield a little bit last year. Um, any arguments with Cleveland being number one in the division? Do I go full Bengals homer and say we're better? No. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> they're, they're absolutely the best. What, I think our best offensive lineman would be their sixth or fifth. <laughs> exactly. I, I will fight the fight that I think Jonah was as good as Jedrick Wills last year. And I didn't watch mm-hmm. every Cleveland game or anything. Mm-hmm. But I've watched four, and I thought, this guy is, looks good for a rookie. And I'm like, so did Jonah. They just, you know. But uh, other than that, man, you mentioned Jack Conklin's the all-pro, and I think he's their fourth best lineman. Uh, I think – I think it goes pure talent. I might take Wyatt Teller number one mm-hmm. off last year. And then Joel Batonio, JC Treader is a really good center. And then Conklin and then Wills. And they're all so good. Yeah. I'd take any of them on our offensive line, but, uh, and then you add in Bill Callahan too, as the offensive line coach. And it's just, it's not fair <laughs> oh, that, that when, when people mention it's like, yeah, your, your offensive line only matters so much. It's like, just point to Cleveland. Cause that's the whole yeah. reason their offense is motoring. I mean, they can yeah. run any run play they want. They, I think of the second week two, they, their wide zone wasn't working because DJ reader's awesome. And we were in a bear front three technique, zero technique, three technique, just to limit their combos and stuff. And Bill Callahan has trained them so well that at halftime they just go, that's all right, let's just move to the complete ops. Let's run power and counter. And they just start blowing our guys up. I mean, Wyatt Teller pulling around and just driving our linebackers 15 yards downfield is just something that's burned into my memory. Uh, yeah, so good. They're, they're <laughs> like four tiers ahead of anybody else in this division for offensive mm-hmm. line. Yeah, I think when I was trying to look over, um, again, not my forte, not my specialty, but as I was trying to look over the offensive lines, um, that you could argue that Cleveland is one of the best in the entire conference in the AFC. Uh, So naturally, they're the best in the division. I assumed Baltimore would be second here. Um, I don't think they have as flashy of an offensive line, maybe, as Cleveland. Um, But again, when I think about their scheme, uh, they are disgusting running the ball um, which you know some of that can be schemed some of it offensive line play uh, but when you've got a guy like Lamar Jackson who can run the ball and now J.K. Dobbins taking over the lead reins there I assume they're second and, and that's only because I don't feel confident yet in in this offensive line and I really don't like Pittsburgh's <laughs> offensive line so they almost were a second by default yeah I, I agree with you uh, now can I name all five Baltimore starters? No. Exactly. They're just <laughs> not as sexy. <laughs> it's uh, Stanley's at left tackle, and he's really good. He's probably top five-ish. We'll just say top five, and that's fluid. There could be seven guys in there. <laughs> um, but he's a very good left tackle coming off an injury. Left guard, somebody. Uh, replacement level player, I assume. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm trying to. I was trying to look it up real quick to see because Stanley was the only one, or Stanley. Well, Kevin Zeitler is at right guard, and I assume Alejandro Villanueva is going to be at right tackle. I think Zeitler should be fine, but he was kind of bad last year, and Villanueva is he looked real bad last year in some games, specifically Carl Lawson. Just oh man, on Monday night, I think he had six quarterback hits in one game, maybe more. I know it was more than I think Chase Young had the entire year. 
that he mm-hmm. got in one game against Villanueva. It was insane. And the only reason he didn't end up with like four sacks is because they're throwing the ball in one and a half seconds. So then that this this leads to something where like people look at PFF grade and they kind of have like the monopoly on is this player good? Let me go check. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of increases PFF grade because it's like, well, he's not getting beat, but it's like they're getting the ball out in one second. He's beat within two. So mm-hmm. they don't grade it as a bad play, but really it was a it was a bad job by him. They just schemed around it. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at ES, ESPN has their depth chart as Stanley at left tackle, uh, rookie Ben Cleveland starting. Oh, Ben Cleveland. Ball. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, yep. I watched him well for like two games, and I thought he was. Eh. I don't know. Seemed like a third round pick. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought Carmen was better, so we have that. Yeah, that's true. Bradley Bozeman, haven't heard of him. Sorry, uh, Bozeman. Uh, I think the Bozeman lost four snaps in the playoff game, so that's oh. the main thing I know about him. I that's think how you know fine, him. Though. I think he's all right. I think he just uh, just really botched that one. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got Zeitler and Villanueva, which you mentioned. So. Between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, how do you stack up those two offensive lines? Because I think historically, you know, you would say Pittsburgh pretty easy. They they technically had two Pro Bowlers last year uh, in DeCastro and Pouncey. Now both of those guys are gone. It looks like they're going to have an all-new starting five along that line. Uh, I believe they signed Trey Turner. So it's going to be different from what we've seen in the past. Do you think in 2021, the Bengals have the better offensive line unit than the Steelers, or do you think the Steelers still eke us out? Yes, I think the Bengals have a better offensive line. Woo! Um, <laughs> if you asked me before DeCastro got released, I would have been more like, mm-hmm. ooh, I don't know. It's close. Yeah. But after he gets released, and they signed Trey Turner, who was pretty good, and then last year was terrible. I mean, what's their offensive line? I think they have Kendrick Green, the rookie they drafted, who I think's whatever i didn't watch him but everything i hear it's like a third round pick and i'm like all right so he should be i don't know what average at best i think yeah and then their one dotson he was pretty good in limited time but again i think he only played like 300 snaps and then you look at zach banner who played one game didn't even finish the game before tearing his acl so i don't know anything about him and the other one was uh, Chakuma Okorafor, mm-hmm. average, yep. below average player. And then, uh, ooh, uh, yeah, Trey Turner. They, I was trying to think of the last yeah, one. They technically, okay. uh, ESPN technically has Green as backup center right now. But, uh, you know, see how that plays out. They have JC Hassenauer Never heard as the, <laughs> I have any there, so he's starting center. So I looked at that line and I thought it was, um, you know, and I've mentioned it before from a Bengals fandom perspective, it's really difficult when the national media is just burying your team and, uh, you know, every fan of every other team is like, you guys got your quarterback killed because you didn't do anything to the line. And it's like, it, everybody saw that play out, you know, had the injury not happened, our line was still really bad, but not that many people were talking about it um, outside of Cincinnati. And I kind of feel like that's where Pittsburgh uh slide slots in right now is you know unless something terrible happens to big ben then it's not going to be a main talking point of what's pittsburgh going to do to address their line but looking at their line i think they could be really really poor this year um and and it's interesting you know you never want to nor can you predict injuries but big ben hasn't been a statue of health in his career and if he's going to be a statue back there unable to 
scramble uh, as well as he did back in his prime with an offensive line that struggles, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that offense is impacted. Uh, granted, they added Najee Harris, and we'll see how that impacts their running game, which was non-existent last year. But yeah, just looking at the actual personnel along that offensive line, I don't feel confident that they're going to be even average this year. I think with the Bengals, the, the way I see it is you put the Bengals over the Steelers because you have two guys on the Bengals offensive line, maybe even three, if you think Trey comes back good from his injury, that you could project as at least decent. What is there like? <sighs> I don't know if you could do it with anybody on Pittsburgh's line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a single guy on there that you can go, well, he'll be decent. You just yeah. get like, whew. <laughs> and when I look at Pittsburgh's line and those five guys, it's not obvious that any of those five would be like, oh, I definitely would want him to plug in over our guy. Um, some of them might end up that way because there's question marks on both sides. Like you said, uh, injuries and and new guys on that team. Plus, we've got some unproven guys on our side as well. But just from what we know right now, I don't look at those any of those five and say, man, if we could straight up trade and get this person over our guy. I don't know that there's anybody that I would do that for. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's pretty obvious that it's Cincinnati, but I didn't, I didn't feel like an expert in this area. So I was like, you know what? I'll let you be the, be the deciding factor as to whether Cincinnati is better than Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, third best offensive line in the AFC North. I'll take it. It's better than fourth because I think last year, everybody, I've just had enough of everybody um, crapping on, the Bengals and their offensive line. So I'm honestly crossing my fingers for average and we'll see if it plays out. I, yeah. I was just going to, one last thing was, uh, I remember you mentioned Najee Harris that they drafted. Mm-hmm. I thought the real mistake they made, they took Pat Fryermuth, Fryermuth with the second pick. And I was just thinking like, Oh man, you're saving the offensive line till the third round, man, for a tight end. And Eric Ebron's fine. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, that was. I thought that was a puzzling pick, and of course, you know, training camp reports are glowing of Pat Freermuth right now. But even so, even if he's decent as a rookie tight end, I just wasn't a main area of need for them, which was interesting. And it wasn't like you were taking a prospect on the level of a Kyle Pitts that you think is going to transform your offense. So I found it to be a puzzling pick as well. But um, you know, if it was us, they would have said we bungled it. So we got to think of something catchy to uh, rag on the Steelers a little bit. And honestly, I'm still riding the high from the win last year in primetime. So we got a win in primetime with our backup quarterback, and we still got a top draft pick. So so honestly, I'm holding on to that. And uh, now I'm holding on to the fact that we have the better offensive line, which is saying a lot compared to where we were last year. So we had Cleveland number one in the AFC North, followed by Baltimore almost by default. Um, And then Cincinnati number three. You heard it here first from Mike. And Pittsburgh rounding out the offensive line units within the AFC North. We'll see how that plays out in 2021. I, you know, there's a there's a case to be made maybe if things really broke right that the Bengals could have the second best offensive line, but too many question marks to uh, project that at this time. Stay tuned for the next episode where Mike and I will touch on the defensive line and how they compare compared to the rest of the AFC North. <laughs>